Hello everyone and welcome to Eat, Read, Stream, Repeat. I'm Chloe. And I'm Sarah and this episode we're going to be delving into retellings of Greek myths in books, TV and on screen. Before we get into that we've got Reading, Streaming, Repeating where we're going to talk about what's been capturing our attention recently. So Sarah, what have you been uh, consuming? So I binged a Netflix show called On My Block which not enough people are talking about. It is absolutely amazing and not at all what I thought it would be. So it's a Netflix original, it is contemporary and follows four friends, three boys and a girl as they enter high school. So they're aged uh, like 14, 15, 16 and it is, it's a coming of age story is the easiest way to describe it but it's just so wonderfully done. It's a show about people of colour, like there's barely any white people in it. I think the few white people we see are like some horrid frat boys at a house party who at one point dress up on Halloween as um members of a gang and one of the kids in the show his brother is a a gang leader and he's kind of been drawn into this life unwillingly after his brother comes out of prison there's a whole storyline with family there's like lots of kind of first love first crush stuff but it is just I I don't I can't spoil any of it for you but it's absolutely not what you think it is going to be and it will just grab you by the heart and I just watched it and I thought I'll watch an episode and then I could literally could not stop it is how long is it um I think it's only 10 episodes of kind of 30 minutes each they're not hour long so um but absolutely brilliant so please go watch on my blog I love this show so much okay uh well I shamefully but also no shame rewatched the Kelvin vs. Star Trek trilogy again. Um, so that's the, the three new Star Trek films, which I only watched recently, but I rewatched them again. But this time I rewatched them while reading along with like the greatest Star Trek fanfiction ever written. Controversial as a choice. Okay. Um, but it's true. And me. What is it called? It's called Switch. Okay. Um, but it's Kirk and Bones, which is what makes it controversial. Okay. But uh, me and a lot of other people would fight it when said differently. So. That was a delightful day, and actually, I, I did that with a friend. Like it was a whole day that we planned out, and it was great, and it was it was a beautiful Star Trek extravaganza. That was okay. delightful. Um, but at the, um, I'm just coming from finishing Children of Blood and Bone as well, and I am oh. enjoying it so much. Um, like we put it on our look ahead for 2018, and we called it because it is just great. Yeah. Really, really. Um, I was a little worried about it because I when I saw the page count. Like, I had it in proof form and it was 400 odd pages, but it doesn't lag at all. Like, the world building is great, the characters are great, the plotting is great. Yeah, a brilliant foundation to build. Uh, is it going to be a trilogy or is it like. I'm not sure how many books yeah. it's going to be, but, but multiple books. Groundwork is fabulous, so really, just I'm just loving it. Oh, yeah. cool. So now for the main bit of our episode, uh, where we're going to talk about Greek myths, which, um, I mean, Chloe has, like, can I, can we say a vested interest? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think we, yeah. Like, like just, on behalf of my people. On behalf of your... Half of my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, we, I want to point out that if you ever get the chance to, if you don't know Chloe and you meet her, ask her to show you a picture of her dad, who is basically... <laughs> 
Zeus. Like, he looks like Zeus. He literally looks look. like a statue did just come to life. It's yeah. hilarious. Um, so, we have him. <laughs> All other Greek people. No, look, the Greek myths um, are just great material for books and TV and shows. And there's a couple... Hella of drama. Yeah, lots of drama. So there's a couple um, right now that you can that you can get a hold of. So the first is Circe, the new book by Madeline Miller, author of The Amazing Song of Achilles, which came out back in 2012, I think, yeah, and won, well back, yeah. um, won the, what was then the Orange Prize for Fiction, and yeah. is now the women, just the Women's Prize for Fiction. And has been the Bailey's Prize in between that. Yes, that. in between. Yes, so lots going on. Uh, this is an area that Miller is very interested in. So mm-hmm. Circe follows unsurprisingly, Circe, who you might have heard of if you are familiar with the Odyssey. She appears in the Odyssey. Odysseus and his men land on the island that she, the remote island that she lives on. She turns his men into pigs. Uh, Her and Odysseus fall in love, or she falls in love with Odysseus. Mm. He leaves. (laughs) Uh, Because that is what Odysseus does. He leaves. Like, he literally leaves. Because Odysseus, bit of a fuckboy. Just a fact. He leaves. Um, (laughs) But what... What Miller has done in Circe is give Circe a full story. So you meet her basically at birth and through... We're not going to spoil too much of the book, but basically she's not... Her family don't really like her. Circe, uh, is she part goddess or full yeah. goddess? She's part goddess. Yeah, and then her mother's a, her mother's not a goddess. Her mother's a... What is it when they see things not naiads, but... Nymphs? Yeah. Yeah, and her dad is Helios, god of the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, but Circe in this in this incarnation, does not look like a goddess, i.e. she's not beautiful enough, and she doesn't sound like a goddess. I They think her voice grates, but her voice is basically, from what I get, is, is human she's sounding. Got, she's, yeah, she has, she's, yeah, she has a human voice. Um, uh, but she discovers she's got a talent for sorcery, yeah. for, for witchery. Um, she's very good with like herbs and, and kind of that thing. And she grows up, she falls in love with someone, and then... He falls in love with someone else and she casts a spell and it goes a bit wrong. And so Zeus banishes her yeah. to the remote island. Yeah. The events of Circe cross over with the events of um, the Odyssey on multiple occasions. It kind of like the story weaves yeah. back in and out of that narrative, which just kind of gives you some touch points to parts of Greek myth that are really well known. So it makes it quite easy to sort of ground it, I guess, with stuff that you might already be familiar with. I think the key is that, and and, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more as we talk about other things, is that women in Greek myths generally aren't written or kind of characterised very well. And what Miller does here is she gives her like a full, like, there's lots you know about Cersei, like you really get to know her properly. Yeah, well, women in Greek myths tend to be, taking aside the goddesses because yeah. they're obviously got their whole thing going on but if you think about like you know Ariadne or Eurydice or anything they are women who appear in a man's story and are then abandoned yeah. and you don't know about them before and you don't know about them after you know yeah. about them in the context of who they were to a male hero and this does the opposite this takes a woman and there are sort of men that float in and out mm-hmm. of her life like literally float because they're coming across the water to her <laughs> island um, and and kind of how they affect her and then and then I mean Miller's really good because she, we do generally find out what happened to most of those men after they leave yeah. but the story is very firmly about about this woman and then a uh, slight spoiler alert we do meet Penelope Odysseus's wife mm-hmm. in Circe as well and it 
gives her more of a character that in the Odyssey she just doesn't have a character like she's just there she's I mean, just there to be wooed by the men and then rescued by Odysseus when he eventually comes back home after 20 years away <laughs> just wandering around just the wandering around um so yeah I I really enjoyed Cersei I like, beautiful I think her writing's really glorious mm. as well like she writes in a quite sort of almost dreamy style like it all feels very, um, and it's that almost kind of poetic way that the Greek myths were epic poems. Yeah. She she's not writing an epic, but it just has this edge of almost like yeah, that just that that fluidity of language, which is really beautiful. Yeah, I like the idea she explores as well. So I'm fascinated by this trope, I guess you'd call it, of like the unlikable woman, in mm. that you often you often get women that are called unlikable where if you transferred all their personality traits to a man, that man would not be called unlikable. And so she takes Cersei who is not is a woman that is not liked by a lot of people in the world she grows up just rounds her out and shows you that yes she can be unlikable at times but that doesn't yeah. mean it's that just, she's a bad person no. or that she isn't just because you don't like her at certain points doesn't mean she's unlikable no she's a complicated yeah. woman like any woman in a world that doesn't character. like complicated women yeah. like this is the you know the that she's supposed to fit into a box that she doesn't mm. fit into. And there's this, yeah, it's that sort of beautiful, the moments where she's alone on her island, some of the most lovely, mm. because it's this sense of that she's, because she's banished there in a sort of prison, but she starts to make it her own and she starts to understand that this island can give her all these things that she's wanted in her life but hasn't been allowed. Um, and sort of the animals and the plants and everything else sort of become part of her and she, this island becomes an extension of her and it's, and it's also, um, isn't it a lot of, you You don't really get to know them in the book because it's not their story, but there's a few girls that are sent to the island, mm. are they, by their, like, fathers yeah. to kind of save them, to banish them, to, like, wait there on the island until their dad's found someone for them to marry, I think, <laughs> yeah. is, yeah, is the basic like, thing. Yeah. So it's interesting that this island becomes a shelter for other yeah. women as well, and... and we mentioned Penelope earlier and mm. part of her story is perhaps this island gives Penelope something she needs as well. And it's that kind of thing of a woman, this is a story about a woman creating a home for herself, like yeah. not just <clears throat> and, a place uh, yeah. to live, it's yeah. a home. Yeah. Like, and a purpose yeah. for her own life that she sort of carves out, but you know, it doesn't exist. No, women's not, women aren't, women, no one does what she does. Magic yeah. is frowned upon, but she, she, by sheer force of will and personality, carves out this niche only she can fill, which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. Yeah, Highly so it's Cersei by Madeline Miller, which is published by Bloomsbury in mm-hmm. this country, and it's out in April. And the book itself is a beautiful item. Oh, the cover is gorgeous, really beautiful. Lots of foil work, lots of like kind of intricate burnished and yeah. bronzy, sort of dark golds. Good job to the, I don't know who the designer is actually, we should look, we might, uh, we'll try and look and tweet the designer. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous book. Yes, it is. Um, and the other thing that is um, bringing Greek myths kind of back, <laughs> back, I say, um, this year, is the BBC, uh, the BBC's Troy Fall of a City, which is um, another retelling of the story of the fall of Troy. I am 
gutted because I was looking forward to this so much and I really wanted I didn't even need it to be great I just needed it to be like okay okay I watched one episode and I have not yet been able to bring myself so I like I'm keeping up to date ahead. with it um so we'll talk about this and at the same time we'll also talk a little bit about Troy yes. the Eric Banner I love I love that Eric Banner is the person that you quote with that because really it's a Brad Pitt film <laughs> <laughs> but we're like no no Eric Banner film. It's also got Garrett Hedlund in it, which is very important. And Orlando Bloom. Yes, that's that's also and Diane Kruger. Um, and I, I guess we should talk generally about the story of Troy. So the story of Troy in Paris. It returns to Troy. Everyone thought he was dead, but he comes back to Troy, and then as part of his kind of education as a politician, he is sent on a kind of a diplomatic mission, or just yeah. like a kind of go and pay fealty to this other king so we get on with them to Menelaus and there and so usually it is he's sent I believe he goes with Hector although in the BBC version he doesn't he yeah. goes on his own which is a big terrible, mistake a terrible idea big and mistake and a minute prior I said it I was like dude you are the worst of the worst with the planning anyway <laughs> so so Paris totals off to the court of Menelaus and it's all like la 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 except Menelaus has a wife who's like the hottest of the hot I feel we should <laughs> rewind we missed out the goddesses element didn't we well I missed out the goddesses element so Paris was uh, when he was like not Paris when he was still a shepherd was approached by Zeus and three goddesses so I'm going to try Aphrodite um goddess of love Athena yes. the goddess of war and wisdom wisdom and wisdom and Hera's Zeus's wife? Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. And asked to choose which of them he thought was the best looking. And they all promised him different stuff. And he said Aphrodite and Aphrodite promised him the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, and so when he goes to Menelaus's court and he sees Helen, he's like, oh, the most beautiful woman in the world. So um, depending on which ambition you watch, it's different reasons, and we'll go into that a bit more, but Helen sneaks off back to Troy with Paris. Menelaus is pissed off. He calls on his big brother Agamemnon, and um, basically Helen was courted by a lot of men, and when Menelaus got married, uh, Agamemnon, Agamemnon made all her suitors promise that if it was ever needed, they would come and and fight for Helen of Troy. And so he calls on all the greatest warriors in the land, and they go to Troy, where they spend ten years sitting on the beach. I would point out that Helen is actually an excuse, like a good and honourable reason to declare. It's also more romantic in terms of storytelling. Yeah, like we're talking about, you know, mythology, like... Wrap it up in a nice, in yeah. a nice big story. So among the suitors are people like Odysseus, um, Nestor. Odysseus didn't. No, but he made some sort of promise. I think when he was brash and young. I think a lot of people and Achilles didn't either. Achilles wasn't a suitor of Helen's, was he? He just likes no. to fight with his myrmidons. Yeah. Or not fight. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so they sit on the beach for ten years, do a bit of fighting. Uh, the walls of Troy are impenetrable. So Odysseus and comes Hector. up is good at his job. <laughs> Hector is very good at his job. So this is comes up with the Trojan horse plan and I don't think I need to go into any more detail because I think we all know what happened next. <laughs> there was some yeah cutty cutty slashy slashy hacky hacky No more Troy. No more Troy. Um 
So the BBC adaptation handles this very differently to the film. I think the film has like all the classic beats and it's very Hollywood. It's like Paris and Helen fall in love. I don't even remember how, like it's been so long. With, it's been so long since I paid attention to any part of the film <laughs> that isn't directly related to either Hector or Achilles and Patrickness <laughs> that I don't remember. What, yeah. How much of you, you even see at the beginning, you, I think you see them running away, but you don't see any of the kind of melanist court particularly, like it's not really... No, I, I feel like you see a bit of it, um, but not loads, and on, in the film it is, it is Paris goes with Hector, and you don't see, like, you don't see the gods and goddesses, you don't see any of that, which the BBC adaptation does. Yes, which is why, which is one thing that they did in the BBC that I liked, so the only hint that you get of the supernatural in the film so Achilles um his mother is a Betis yes so she's a naiad I don't know how you pronounce that word actually I don't know if I've ever said that I don't know know. I've said that word out loud so she appears in the film super super briefly yes she's played by Nereid Nereid okay yeah I don't know anyway she's played by what's her face that extraordinarily beautiful actress Oh, I don't remember who plays it in the film. So she, they show her in the film very briefly, but they don't really, if you didn't know that she was supernatural, wouldn't necessarily take that from the film. He just goes to have a chat with his mum. But that's where Achilles' strength comes from, in that his mother sort of did this piece of magic where she dunked him in the river in order to... Holding him by his ankles. Yeah, do, in order to give him the protection. Because as she was holding him by his ankles, where she was holding him didn't go into the water. And that's why he's got the Achilles heel. Because um, it wasn't protected by magic. Do we have a name? Julie Christie. Oh, is it Julie yes, Christie? Yes, I remember at the time, oh. Julie Christie plays um, Achilles, i.e. Brad Pitt's mum. Okay. But yeah. it, the cast of the film, like, the one, the thing is, the film has a lot going for it. Like, it's got Eric Banner, Brad Pitt, Brendan Gleeson, Diane Kruger, Orlando Bloom, Garrett Hedlund, Sean Bean as like, Odysseus. Sean Bean's Odysseus is great, and one of my big annoyances is that we didn't get um, an Odysseus film afterwards, because I think his version of the Odyssey would have been great, because mm. Sean Bean manages to be charming even when he's being awful, which is what you need from Odysseus, because he's awful all of the time, <laughs> but you have to believe people would follow him. I think um, I think the BBC TV show, show does Odysseus quite well as well. Like, he is... Is this from the Odyssey, where Odysseus is described as wily? Like, I seem to remember oh, it's, that it, that's any, like a cat... That any is, time he is, ever shows up. People he's like how he's wily, he um, and I think you really get that from the BBC adaptation. He's got a very familiar face. I didn't get far enough. To oh no, actually, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, played by, and I don't know how you pronounce it. A guy called Joseph Maul, M A W L E, who has also been in like Ripper Street and Game of Thrones. Oh, so one of those faces that you One see. of those faces that you sort of know. Um, so he's very good in that he's got that kind of slightly like, slightly villainous, but also not because he's not, you know, doing it for his shallow. He knows he's got a job to do. Basically, he's doing his job. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is ruled by emotion, especially Menelaus in yeah. the BBC adaptation, who is played by Jonas Armstrong, <laughs> who was Robin Hood in the BBC adaptation of Robin Hood. And I tell you what I was hoping for was I was kind of hoping this Troy might be like, if nothing else, it would be a bit of silliness, like 
yeah. Robin Hood was or Merlin yeah. or one of those other things where it was like a little bit nonsense but really good hearted. But anyway, so Jonas Armstrong, who was Robin Hood, uh, is now playing Menelaus and it was a bit weird to see. He's really whiny in it, like really annoying. You just everyone like, was really like I watched one episode, like we said before, but it's because like everyone annoyed me so terribly much. They are quite annoying in it, and I have to. I think for me, Paris and Helen are just. I really dislike both of them. I dislike Paris more because Helen is in this adaptation. Menelaus is not very nice to Helen at all. Like, and I think. In most in most versions of this story, Menelaus like Helen doesn't love Menelaus at <laughs> all. It's a it's very much a marriage of she was bargained off to the yes. highest bidder um, essentially. Well, not in the highest bidder, but you yeah. know the person who offered. Um, but in the BBC version, I think it's very clear that it's it's maybe an abusive relationship at times as well. So she is escaping that as well as then saying she's in love with Paris. Um, but oh man, I didn't. I thought Orlando Bloom's Paris was annoying. <laughs> this Paris is oh, like another level, like the worst. And especially in the BBC adaptation, because it's spread out over so many episodes, constantly, constantly, people are like, everyone is like, Paris, it's not your fault. Helen, it's not your fault. We'll like do anything to protect you. And I'm like, dude, it is their fault. And also, the whole of Troy is starving and dying. And it is their fault. Like, why can no one take responsibility for this? Um, and it's really frustrating. And in in Troy Fall of a City as well, Priam, Paris's dad, is like... Because Priam's a strategist. Like, he's clever. He's quite honourable. But in this, I just don't like him. He is not very good. The only good prince of Troy is, is Hector. Yeah. Like, I like Hector in whichever version I see him in. He's not very nice in the first episode of no, I, City. I, but also, why should he be nice? Like, this random brother of his has come back five minutes later, stolen sure. the wife of, like, someone who could have been a major ally and has now become a major enemy and has declared war on his city. Like, why would Hector be there? Because the one, so the one thing against in the TV show that they don't, have I don't recall them having particularly in the film is um Cassandra Cassandra is yeah she's not in it she's not in it loads so Cassandra is Hector and Paris's younger sister there's a lot of siblings but not all of them mostly I think it's only those three that you really hear about in any adaptations but there are a lot of a lot of them uh and Cassandra can see into the future basically and yeah. she can prophesy stuff and Apollo he was her god. And Odysseus, because we were talking about war and wisdom earlier, it's Athena is yeah. his, is his yeah. mentor and she loves him very dearly and is she is his favoured son because he is both good at, because he's that wily thing yeah. and he's good at, you know, yeah. wisdom and war. But you do war. get Cassandra here. Actually, I think she's Hector's younger sister, but I think she must be Paris's older sister. Yes, because she... Because she makes she, she's, a prophecy yeah, about him. Yeah. Well, no, his mother has awful dreams when he's being born and that's yeah. why they... Um, so basically, the prophecy says that if, as long as Paris is within the walls of Troy, Troy will be destroyed. Basically, um, which is why they sort of get someone to kill him, but only that person doesn't kill him. They take him and bring him up as a shepherd in the hills outside of Troy. Um, 
to keep him safe and then he comes back um so yeah i am i really 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 dislike paris and i really dislike helen yeah. as well it's weird because they don't seem to be able to do a good adaptation of greek mythology yeah like I, like there's been so many films and things barring like we're talking the Ray Harryhausen and stuff, the Clash of the Titans, mm. and all of the like those fabulous old school kind of ones, um, which have their own unique charm and magic to them. But like all the modern ones that they've tried, like Three Hundred was awful. Yeah. Um, the new Clash of the Titans was like naff. What was that one that um, Henry Cavill did that was terrible? Ooh, I do not know. Um, and had Daniel Sharman from Teen Wolf in it as one of the gods, and like a really random cast. Yeah, but. I don't know, Henry Cavill yeah. was kind of yelling and doing a stern face for like so two I, hours. I didn't before. mind um, Diane Kruger as Helen. Like her Helen, I actually found a bit more sympathetic. But this Helen as well, she has um, she has much more agency than I think you, you usually see Helen have. But kind of later on in the series, she does some stuff that I, that very much annoys me because it's very damaging to people. And she does it to protect herself. And you think, the whole city is at war for you mm. anyway. And you see her abandon her child in this as well. You daughter. do see her abandon her daughter. So in this version, in the first episode, when it, when uh, when Paris goes to the court of Menelaus, um, it's it's basically to form an alliance by marrying Helen and Menelaus's daughter. Um, daughters are an interesting one in this because obviously you've got Cassandra whose parents make her think that she is mad and make the rest of her family think she's mad as well yeah. like and that she doesn't gaslighting yeah biggest daughter that you see affected is Agamemnon's daughter who and this this is quite a big part of um, it's like a crucial part of Greek myths but the BBC make it a really big part of Troy Fallen the City so um, Agamemnon's daughter is, has to be sacrificed so that they can get the seas that they need to cross over to Troy and this is right at the beginning and this if you've ever read any Greek plays uh, you will have seen this so Agamemnon has to kill his own daughter in order to be able to start the war on Troy. And it's a huge part of how whenever anyone is like, should we give up? Everyone's like, well, Agamemnon gave his daughter and this is why he's like really pissy throughout the whole 10 years. And it's what scares Troy the most as well because they know this guy sacrificed his daughter so he's now going to get do anything to win because he's kind of given up not not just given up he committed the act to like start this war and it was the most devastating thing yeah. the daughters are treated not very well yeah by so because they parallel that in um, game of thrones at one point as well they use that, that yeah. thing of a father having to sacrifice their child yeah look i love greek myth retelling so i will watch them even when they're bad but this isn't as good as I'd hoped it would be, and it's not as good as the amount of money they chucked at it, yeah. I don't think. Really? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you think about like the fact that we've had how many Roman stories that we have, and they always seem much better, and I don't know why we can get a handle on the Romans, but we can't get a handle on the Greeks. Yeah. Because if you think about something like Rome, that the two seasons that they did, I think it was HBO did it. 
I've not seen Rome, but it was lavish, wasn't it? it like, was, I remember things, hearing was, about how I, much they spent on it. And I've watched it a couple of times. It's got Kevin McKidd in it, if I remember correctly. And I believe that I do. Don't tend to forget Kevin McKidd. Is is fabulous, interesting and intricate. I'm trying to think of a TV show that's that's covered any kind of Greek mythology or anything well. Yeah, I can't. I there can't are so really many think. stories. Like you could, there are yeah, so, anything. So I think Chloe might have texted me about this but on the positive side Alfie Enoch turns up as Aeneas in the first episode and I think you text me to be like let's just skip to like the Aeneas which is another great story um if you then then you're into Romans again yeah and I I think Hector is really interesting in this I think his development is done really well and the actor that plays him uh is a guy called Tom Weston Jones and I think that's really great but there's, there's lots, like, I think we're being a bit down on it. There is lots of decent stuff. It just doesn't come together, I don't think, which is a pity. I feel like maybe our expectations were high. And that it's because the Odyssey and the Iliad and, like, all the other Greek, they're, like, amazing stories. They're thousands of years old and we're still retelling them. And we're retelling them for a reason, because they've got, like, drama and love and fighting. And- oh, no, hold on a second. I will have to just backtrack. The Disney version of Hercules is great. <laughs> but live action, there's yeah. not, there's not been... Yeah, this is what I'm like, that kind of big, lavish, you know, political, interesting yeah. drama. Just, I can't think of one. Mm. If you can think of one, let us know. Let us know, because we will definitely, definitely watch it. I read, I don't think I've read all of the Iliad, actually. I've read the Odyssey a number of times. Um, Interestingly, last year, they brought out um a translation of the Odyssey the first published translation by a woman. So we'll tweet um, some information about that because I think that's really interesting that it's taken that long for a, a, someone to publish a translation by a woman yeah. of this story. Yeah, and I, I haven't read it, but I've seen quite a few people reacting to it and they are saying that actually through the lens of a female academic, the text is is changed. You know, someone, someone she is considering things in a way that no man clearly ever has, yeah. and it's, it's leading some very interesting results. That's nice. But yeah, because we used to listen to it in the car. I've still got the cassette somewhere. Have you? We used to listen to the version of the Odyssey, and then my dad used to do um, bedtime story where he did a really good voice for the Cyclops. Scary. <laughs> Coming soon, a special episode of Each Reads Through Repeat to where Chloe's dad <laughs> reads the Odyssey. Shall I actually ask him? I'll, I'll try and record when I'm there. I'll be like, can you Please do? Please do. Um, <laughs> I read the Odyssey. Uh, when did I read the Odyssey? I think when I did classics at school. And then when I did Latin at school, we translated bits of the Aeneid. So, like, the famous bits of, of Aeneas going down into the underworld. Um, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's quite exciting. That they are—they're just very good, like very entertaining stories. And I think it's interesting to see how modern adaptations handle handle them. And I think they haven't quite got a handle on them. That's the problem. I wonder if it feels—it just feels a bit sprawling because they all link into they all link one. into another one. Like there's all these characters that you have to try and get to, and like put together. And then the, yeah, the BBC thing with the god the gods and goddesses is weird because they kind of they like they're human basically. You see them in human mm. form. And then so there's there is a great scene where there's I think it's the first skirmish on the beach in in the dark and you kind of have 
Athena and Aphrodite sort of just kind of wandering in and out of like the fighters as the fighters are like chucking swords at each other and like spears and things and they're like and they're just kind of there and they're obviously wanting to protect Odysseus on one side and like and then sometimes you get Zeus just appearing like he'll that he'll just like switch on to somebody and then you'll switch back to that place and Zeus will just be sitting on a boulder like having a chat with one of the other goddesses. The show, oh, I think it's too much of a spoiler, but the show does something very different that I've never seen before in terms of plot and like the prophecy around Paris and his destruction of Troy. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, so if anyone has seen it, Tweet me so that we can talk about it. Because I was a bit like, oh, okay. okay. All right, I need to catch up. I need to, I'll, I'll sit down and have a swift drink and then get through it. Get through it. Quick Reckon, pick. Yeah. If you were going to have a, a god or goddess as your sort of patron, who would it be? Oh, I don't know. Um, and also, the thing that confuses me is because I did Greek and Roman stuff in classics I sometimes get confused as to which is the Greek name and which is the Roman name so maybe someone like I feel like uh, Athena's a good one because I know she's goddess of war but also wisdom yeah that's like a pretty good one yeah growing up I always liked Athena she was my favourite or Artemis was the other favourite hunt the moon yeah archery all that good stuff who else Poseidon Got to see? Yeah, it's weird though because it's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you, if, yeah. if you've ever seen my father appear from the ocean with a, you know, <laughs> uh, like a literally a trident in one hand and an octopus in the other, you would understand why. Besides, <laughs> just my dad. Um, um, we should do a photo series on Twitter where we get like pictures <laughs> of the gods and then like with a picture of your dad looking like that. You oh. know, like when people do. Yeah, I can do that. Otters that look like Harry Styles or whatever. That's that's me. <laughs> when you say people, I mean you. I, I did. I did. I, it's otters that look like Louis Tomlinson and cows that look like Harry Styles. Oh, okay. Were my two greatest achievements, <laughs> um, um, along with rabbits that look like Matthew Daddario. Okay. Um, so back to Athena. So we both say Athena. We like Athena. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, she's she's also she can be she is savage. Well, that's the whole like thing with the, you, um, no, with the gods and goddesses is that they're basically they're like so old and they're just playing with humans. Like humans yeah. are literally a play, like a, a form of entertainment for yeah. them in this world. Yeah, I'm just thinking. So um, I was just going to say it was quite funny. Uh, another one of the terrible, silly programs that I watch is DC's Legends of Tomorrow, All right, which yeah. is like. Uh, time traveling um, superhero, or where they try and repair, like all these errors happen in time and they have to repair them. Anyway, one of them ended up with Helen of Troy. This episode like, was Helen of Troy ended up in like the golden age of Hollywood, and the studios all went to war because they wanted her as their leading lady. Okay. Anyway, so they had to rescue Helen and take her back. So they were taking her back in time, and she's like, she was begging not to be taken back to Menelaus because she'd been, yeah. you know, she'd been praying to be released, and the gods had like given her this freedom and everything else. And so they're like, mm, okay, so they're thinking about it. And then they're like, I've got an idea. And they're kind of like, zoom, they're swooping in. And I don't think they name the island, but they just say, this, this island, a community only of women. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> and now it's the beginning of Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but there is plenty out there. I'm trying to think. So if you are into this stuff and you haven't read Song of Achilles, I think we'd both recommend that. Yeah. And actually, I'd like to reread that because it has been years since I read it. 
So Margaret Atwood's Penelope ad is... I've not read that. Yeah, so it's, um, it's the story of what Penelope does. It's her story when she's at home waiting for Odysseus. And it's quite mm. short, it's only a small... Well, because if you go by the Odyssey, all Penelope does is... Um, weave. Weave, and then undoes the weaving, yeah. and then redoes it every yeah. day for ten years. Twenty um, years, twenty years. I always forget it's twenty, because it took him yeah. ten years at the war. Ten, it took him ten years ten, to travel yeah. back, like... Yeah. So speaking actually of the there's um a book and it's a non-fiction book called um The Ulysses Voyage. Um it's this guy Tim Severin who does he makes recreations of historical boats, like and he builds them with old building materials and then tries to plot out what the voyage would have looked like. Oh, okay. And he did a couple, um uh, he did the Brendan voyage where he sailed to Ireland in a coracle. Mm. And but he did one in the Mediterranean with the kind of boat that they would have been sailing and and like tried to sort of pin and sort of figure out you know in the book it sort of says about the wind changed direction they were blown this many leagues and everything else and he was sort of trying to pinpoint where each of the things would have been and where were Scylla and Trabidus and where was the Cyclops and where was everything else and it's like this really interesting kind of like yeah travelogue history kind of thing but still 10 years <laughs> uh, I mean sure <laughs> like yeah <laughs> Well, because he was rowing up at places and getting his end away for a while before he decided to move on. Like, oh dear. There's another book um, which is super interesting, and I don't know that it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's fascinating. It's called In the Shape of a Boar by Lawrence Norfolk. And it's, it's again, that real kind of mystical, magical storytelling. It's sort of written in that kind of quite poetic fashion, and it's about this mythical boar hunt. And, you know, it's got that kind of, like, the gods and the goddesses and the immortals and things and, and the landscape is all they're on an island that might be magical and it might not and but the okay. landscape is kind of changing around them and there's like a modern day part of it um at the end where it says there starts to mirror the other story i read it quite a long time ago and it's one of those books where you don't necessarily remember the plot in a huge amount of detail but you remember how it made you feel mm. Like, and there's that slightly odd, dreamy sensation yeah. of reading it, of just, like, what's real and what's not real. And it was a really interesting, a really interesting novel. He's, yeah, he's an inter... I read, I think I read one of his other books, which is about witches returning circularly to the subject of Circe. Okay. Sort. I would also recommend the Greek plays. So I would recommend Electra. I'd recommend Medea, which mm. is... Because um, one of the characters that does pop up in Madeline Miller's Circe is Jason, as in, and the Argonauts. So the day is a great one. And all the thing with the plays is that they're all really short. And if you're someone who thinks, oh, I don't really like reading plays because they're difficult to read, the Greek plays are not difficult to read because they're so short and there's, like, they just read, like, lots of dialogue. Like, they don't, you don't have to worry about setting and, like, stage direction, any of that kind of stuff. So mm. I would recommend those. I'm not sure that I've ever read one, actually. Only because I did classics at school. Yeah. Um, they were really interesting. And they're actually, the Greek plays, a lot of them are about the women. So yeah. the women left behind or the women that, yeah, when the men go back, what do those women do? Yeah. And a lot of them do. Uh, I mean, they are tragedies. Right? Yeah. They are tragedies. So a lot of people die. A lot of, lot of. There's a lot of death. Bloody and murdering business. Cool. So, um, do you us up with any suggestions of books, films, and TV in this area because we will go away and watch it. I mean, we'll might complain about it afterwards. <laughs> but, yeah. 
but we will watch it. Yeah, it's one do. of these funny things where, like, you're kind of super fond of... Well, I find that I'm super fond of things, and then sort of these half-remembered things from childhood, and then when you watch them, you're like, oh, you just ruined everything that I remember. Mm. Which is always really awful. So, you know, that's sad. Now we're going to... Stop talking about things that we were terrible and we didn't enjoy them. Start talking about things that are terrible, but we did enjoy them. Because uh, it's time for 29 Seconds of Terror Amazing. So one of us is going to pitch a film or TV show that we um, think is a bit rubbish, but we also absolutely adore. And this week it is Sarah's turn. So Woo. I'm going to get my timer ready. And are you prepared? Are you emotionally and mentally ready I for this? I think I... Yeah, I think okay. so. So... Two, one, and go. So I'm pitching Timeless, which is a time travel story starring Abigail Spencer, Matt Lanter of 90210, and Malcolm Barrett as three people who have to... Somebody steals a time machine, and they use another time machine to basically go after them, and they have to go in and out of other worlds, and other... Not other worlds, other time periods. Um, So it's great. They turn up at, like, I think, the assassination of JFK, but they can't change time. And it's a great one because one of the characters is black, and he acknowledges he has to tell everyone time travel not so great for people of colour and then you're done oh okay cool go watch it it's on Netflix woo um so that's all we have time for so do talk to us on Twitter at Eat Read Stream particularly with any recommendations about like good I mean Greek myths and legends but we'll t- we'll take others anything yeah. really like, we like a we like a nice old historical mythological mm book, film, television, put it in our faces. Um, and you can check out our website, eatreadstreamrepeat.wordpress.com. Uh, we'll put some details up of everything we've been talking about on this episode. Or you could email us on eatreadstreamrepeat at gmail.com if you have a comment or want us to talk about something in particular on a future episode. And we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>